Welcome back to another episode of the Global Connected Aircraft Podcast. I'm your host, Woodrow Bellamy III. Today is Friday, September 4th, and on today's episode, we will be discussing some expert analysis about the odds of catching COVID-19 while flying, which according to one MIT professor are very low. But first, I wanted to remind everyone that we are holding our next installment of the Global Connected Aircraft Cabin Chats event later this month, September 22nd through the 24th. This will be a three-day event consisting of several web sessions with keynote speakers and presentations that you will not want to miss. You can get all the latest updates on Cabin Chats at gcasummit.com slash cabinchats. So our guest on today's episode is Arnold Barnett. He is a professor of management science at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT. Barnett recently has been trying to quantify the odds of catching COVID-19 while flying. He recently published an in-depth study on this in the online Med Archive. In the study, he factored in a number of variables, including the odds of being seated near someone in the infectious stage of the disease and the odds that the protection of masks, which are now required on most flights, will fail. So let's get into our discussion with Professor Barnett. So, Professor Barnett, first, for those in our audience who may be unfamiliar, can you give us a brief introduction to your background and career as well as your current position with MIT? Well, sure. I am a professor at MIT. My official title is George Eastman Professor of Management Science and Professor of Statistics. And I've been there quite a long time. I was a graduate student at MIT more than half a century ago. But So I've never left, and it's a wonderful place to be. I've done a lot of research on applied statistics, primarily associated with issues of health and safety. And one of my particular interests has been aviation safety. And I've worked on it over the years from a variety of perspectives. I see. And so you were recently interviewed by Bloomberg about some research you performed regarding the possibility of passengers catching the COVID-19 coronavirus in flight on an aircraft. Uh, And obviously, this is a really big, you know, great topic for us right now, really kind of timely, um, especially as some, you know, commercial airlines are starting to slowly pick back up the amount of flights they're doing daily on a weekly basis here in the U.S. and around the world. Uh, but let's just look at the research you performed. Um, can you first just tell us about how your research came about, how you came about, you know, to, to this point where you decided to, do, to pursue this research where you're looking at what's the likelihood of a passenger catching the COVID-19 uh, in flight? I'll tell you, I've been doing research, as I said, about aviation for many, many years. And many things are different because of COVID-19. And one difference is this is the first time I've ever seen U.S. airlines actually diverge on a question of safety. And in particular, whether the middle seat in a row consisting of, let's say, middle aisle, I mean, let's say window middle aisle, whether the middle seat should be kept empty on, for example, a Boeing 737 or an Airbus 320 or an Airbus 319. And you have some airlines like United refusing to do so and saying, in fact, keeping the middle seat open is, quote unquote, a PR strategy, not a safety strategy. On the other hand, you have airlines like Delta, whose CEO pointedly said at Delta, when we keep the middle seat empty, it's because we put safety before profits. So I thought, well, 
how important is it to keep the middle seat empty? Uh, instead of having a clash of conjectures, can we try, however imperfectly, to estimate the risks for flights that are full, as opposed to flights that are full except that the middle seats are kept empty, meaning they're two-thirds full on, let's say, a 737. And I tried to take into account lots of factors uh, and also the recent literature about the spread that as a function of distance between the contagious person and the person who might become infected, uh, take into account the fact that, for example, seatbacks on airplanes are not as good as plexiglass, but to a certain extent, they do constitute barriers between successive rows. Take into account the fact that passengers on planes probably are less likely to be carriers of COVID-19 than people picked at random because the passengers probably come from these upscale suburbs to a disproportionate extent where they work at home, they're not exposed to great risk in their professions, et cetera. Uh, take into account also the fact that when we take, let's say, in the United States confirmed counts, it's well known that the number of actual cases is high, much higher than the number of confirmed cases. In fact, the Centers of Disease Control proposes a factor of 10 multiplier. So I tried to throw all these things into a mathematical stew and come up with estimates and recognize that the estimates are imperfect. But I think imperfect estimates are better than nothing at all. As long as you're clear what the assumptions are and why you think they might be reasonable, even if they're not self-evidently correct. And you know what? One thing that I found interesting about your research was you, you tried to, like you said, you tried, you know, look at all the different factors and conditions within a flight environment, within an aircraft cabin that could lead to a passenger possibly catching COVID-19. And um, it specifically says two-hour flights. You're looking at two-hour flights. And, and like you said, whether or not the middle seat should be occupied or not. Um, and, and let's just focus on that, that time in the middle seat factor right there. What is sort of the, the likelihood of catching, you know, possibly, you know, it, let's say hypothetically, if a passenger near you did have a positive COVID-19 case, what would be the likelihood of that, you know, increased possibility of getting it from them if the middle seat were occupied versus not having it occupied? Well, the passengers who, in theory, could infect you are not a, a primarily, of course, the closest passenger is the one with the greatest chance. But then the passenger next to that, if you're in the window seat, 16A, there's 16B, 16C, but there's also some risk from those in 16D, E, and F. The distance is greater, but you know, the, there can be the bouncing of the, the droplets from one side of the aisle to the other. In fact, that happened on a recent flight from Tel Aviv to Frankfurt. And of course, also people in the row ahead and the row behind may actually sneeze and it goes above the seat back and makes it into your ears, uh, air stream, uh, ear, air stream, I meant to say you know, given the flow patterns of the, of the air within the, the cabin. Uh, anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> With all of that, I forgot exactly what your question was. Forgive me. No, well, yeah, we, we were saying, so definitely considering all of those conditions you just mentioned, um, what would be the likelihood of a passenger to catch COVID-19 on see. a flight 
that has okay. middle seat occupied versus not okay. occupied. Yeah. Well, I'm assuming, first of all, the passenger is traveling alone. And uh, if the plane were completely full, I estimate the chance on a two-hour flight of coming down with COVID, based on recent U.S. data about the infection rate, would be about 1 in 4,300 if the flight is full. Now, if the flight is, let's say, 85% full, that was the average load in 2019. So even when planes want to fill the, even when airlines want to fill the plane, they rarely can do so. So 85% is what they've been able to achieve. So I said, then, if that's the case, your risk would be about one in 5,400. You might luck out. If the middle seat is kept open, and even if the flight is full, other then the estimated risk is one in 7,700. Okay, by the, reason, by the way, the reason I mentioned a two-hour flight is that for planes like the 737 and the Airbus 320, that's about the average flight duration in the United States, a flight from, let's say, New York to Chicago or, let's say, San Francisco to Seattle. But those are the estimates that came up, and they are subject to uncertainty. Right. Okay. And so you are more so looking at the number of uh, people on the aircraft, like you said, whether whether or not the middle seat was occupied, uh, as well as the you know, and then factoring all these conditions, what's the likelihood of actually catching COVID nineteen in flight? Uh, and now, did you actually you know maybe partner with any um, airlines or, or industry? companies on this and um you know did you uh have to maybe look at you know a mock-up aircraft or mock-up cabins or anything like that or or was it you were able to sort of come to these results uh by looking at you know these factors you mentioned in the numbers well the answer to your question no i did not work with the airlines i did not receive funding from any or i have had expressions of interest from airlines after the initial draft of the paper came out. They wanted to talk to me about it, but they did not actually influence the the study itself. Uh, well, I did take into account things I knew about the geometry of the airplanes. For example, I went and found out the width of the seats in the cabin, how wide is the aisle between the left seats and the right seats, and what, of course, is the pitch between successive rows? We know something about that. It's not as big as it used to be. So I did take into account various aspects of the geometry of the airplane in the, in the calculation, as well as formulas that were developed to estimate the risk as a function of distance between the contagious person and the person who got infected. Notice I say contagious person. One of the points I took into account is that even who have COVID-19, especially the asymptomatic people, are less likely to be contagious than those who have full-blown COVID-19. So I took that into account as one of the many elements of my attempt to come up with a realistic calculation. Interesting. And, you know, the other thing that and you mentioned it before, just how far apart you're sitting from a person and the way that sort of cabin air recirculation works within an aircraft cabin. Um, I actually viewed a web webinar last week where there were two executives, one from Boeing, one from Airbus, talking about this exact 
um, issue, this exact topic, trying to sort of educate passengers more on cabin air uh, health and safety and trying to educate passengers on how HEPA filters work, how cabin air recirculation works. Did you account for that as well? Just like you said, the the length that you're sitting far apart from somebody, did you account for that as well, the recirculation? Well, I have actually been in touch with Boeing people. They got in touch with me. And look, I didn't pretend that I'm an engineer who's an expert in airflow patterns on planes. However, the way I took into account what they are saying is to say that because of the frequent purification of the air every two or three minutes, et cetera, that I assumed that aerosol transmission was really not a, a major factor. It was very much a secondary factor. So if you're in seat 16A, then the person seated in 22C really can't infect you very much because the air purifications are such that you're not really getting droplets or aerosol managing to make it six rows away before the, before the air is purified. So I did take that into account. And I also suggested that, you know, in a momentary uh, proximity to someone with COVID, let's say you're in 16A and someone passes you en route to the laboratory and that person has COVID-19. Well, that momentary proximity is extremely unlikely in itself to create enough of a buildup of germs that you yourself might come down with 19. So I did take that into account. I'm not an expert on the flow patterns. However, what I have heard from people at Boeing is that in quality, what they believe is the case is similar to what I believe. Namely, the people who are at greatest risk of infecting you are those sitting very close to you on the same side of the aisle in the same row. People on the, in the same row on the other side of the aisle can infect you because of the way the airflow swirls a bit. And there is a little bit of a, an effect, one row ahead, one row behind. There, I actually relied on a paper that appeared in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, which said that the people who can infect you are essentially those within one row. So, so I guess the answer is I have not used a computer that have, and I don't think we that they know something about airflow within their planes. But what they seem to say is, you know, every two minutes or so, every three minutes, we recirculate the air. But during that three minutes, there is a possibility that the air can cause the, the to those around you if you sneeze or talk or even breathe or something, if you are a carrier of COVID-19. And of course, if you're sitting there next to a person for, se for several hours, you know, there are several different intervals in which problems can arise. Maybe you have the first two minutes, then you have the next two and the next two and the next two. So you might have something like 50 intervals. And if some of them wind up giving you germs from COVID, the cumulative effect engineers at places like Boeing and Airbus, and I believe the, the general points they make, I, I don't question them. But you see, coming, taking what they know and putting it into a framework of what is the chance that you're going to get it, get COVID, it's, it, it doesn't, their research doesn't directly answer that question. Right. And that is sort of a, a difficult question to answer, because just what you mentioned, I mean, 
if the likelihood that a person who is who does have COVID nineteen that even if they were to walk by you and you were sitting in the aisle, that momentary passing, you know, the likelihood of of you actually getting germs from that person is is, is kind of low. And one one of the other things that uh, one of the questions that specifically listed in your your research paper is what is the probability that universal masking can prevent a contagious passenger from spreading the disease? And I think that goes exactly to the point you just mentioned. Did you know what what did you deter, you know what did you come up with for that question? How does universal masking help to prevent the transmission? It was a meta-analysis conducted that appeared in the prestigious journal The Lancet. And a meta-analysis looked, in this case, at 260 about respiratory spread, the spread of respiratory germs, and this, and also the effectiveness of masks in counteracting the spread. And it came, its top-line conclusion was, in the absence of masks, the risk of contagion, they estimated, was 17.4%. And when people were wearing masks in comparable circumstances, the risk dropped to 3.1%. risk dropped to 2%. That the masks didn't utterly eliminate the risk, but they got rid of it. I used that estimate in my paper, not because I personally can verify it, but because if this is a conclusion of a peer-reviewed meta-analysis that went through hundreds of studies, then that becomes, you know, a reasonable baseline estimate. And I, I think there are skeptics. There are people who say, well, uh, it depends on can passengers be trusted to put on the mask properly. You know, easy to try to ask all those questions. I use the 82% as a baseline figure. And, you know, mo the most recent research, which was not available at the time I wrote my paper, says that the masks are really better than they thought. Initially, they said the mask protects other people from your germs, but doesn't really protect you. But now they're saying, you know, it does tend to protect, protect you. That in, in other words, you, you prevent others from getting your germs and you have some sort of a barrier against the germs from other people. So, in other words, the, the, the understanding of the effectiveness of masks is changing, but I think the idea that they are highly effective is one that is a respectable conclusion based on a lot of research. And I, I made that assumption, and that is one of the reasons why, even if you're sitting next to a person who has COVID and is contagious, there's only an 18% chance that the germs will escape the mask. And by the way, the research says even if you don't have a mask, remember, it came up with that number 17%, that even if you're in close physical contact with someone who has a, a respiratory disease like COVID, it's not at all inevitable that you'll catch it. The chance is only one in six. So it's maybe one in six if it's someone nearby. And that itself gets cut by a factor of five because of the effectiveness of the mask. And that means even if you're sitting next to a person who's extremely contagious, you know, already you have a one in 30 chance based on that. It's even a little less than that because if the person is sitting next to you, uh, his head is about 18 inches from your head. So that's not the same thing as exact physical contact. I guess if you're in physical contact with someone, it's someone you, and probably, you know, the person doesn't have it. 
But anyway, I, I guess the answer to your question is, even if you're very close to someone with COVID, the chance is low. And the chance that you will be close to someone who has COVID is itself low to begin with. So in other words, three things have to go wrong for you to get COVID. There has to be someone in the neighborhood who has COVID and it's, and it, it's uh, contagious COVID. The, the mask has to fail. And as I said, the proximity has to be enough that the germs from that person could conceivably infect you. So you have to so sort of a three strikes, you're out. Three things have to go wrong. And my calculation suggests that most of the time that won't happen. Interesting. And, you know, I, I just we do, I do have to kind of revisit the the middle seat um, sort of dilemma here, because it you know, one, one in 4,300 chances is, is, is relatively low. And even, even, you know, taking the, like, you know, the preventative measures that you mentioned, the fact that airlines are disinfecting their cabins, the way cabin air recirculation works. Um, but the fact of the matter is airlines do need to make a profit. And a lot of them have just said, you know, look, we can't keep the middle seats open forever. Um, if you're a passenger, you know, getting on an aircraft today, you, you know, should should you look for those airlines who are keeping the middle seats open? I mean, should if you, you're getting in the cabin and you see that every every row is full and you, there's just that, you know, that feeling of kind of cautiousness when you see that it's it's just regardless of the research or anything, you know, I mean, how, just how, how much is that going to affect the way they decide that moving forward, because it's such an interesting problem to have for the airlines. You know? Okay, but look, look, obviously, everyone hopes that COVID will diminish. You know, my estimates are based on the high counts we're getting every day now. And of course, if we are lucky and a vaccine comes out soon, then of course, the whole issue might be moved. So of course, people can occupy the middle seats again. I think, though, we can only talk in this crazy year of COVID looking ahead a few months. But look, I think we, if you look at the cost-benefit analysis now, what are the costs of, let's say, doing what Delta's doing, which is to say when the plane is getting two-thirds full, they'll put on a second plane for the overflow passengers rather than fill the middle seats? Well, is that expensive? Well, not as much as you might think, because first of all, through the end of September and quite probably through March 2021, all airline employees have to remain on the job. The airlines cannot lay them off because the government is spending billions of dollars to pay their salaries. So that element of cost, you know, is not really an element. It's sort of in some sense. You're getting paid by the government, whether they're on the plane or not. Fuel prices are near an all time low. There are lots and lots of idle planes on the ground. So the incremental cost of adding a second flight rather than putting the overflow passengers in unusual. At the same time, people are afraid to fly. I've never seen anything like it. People who wouldn't have given it the slightest thought now, now again won't give it the slightest thought. They, they don't have no idea that, that they will fly. And to the extent that having the middle seat open or the way they put it, the good marketing people saying you never have to sit next to a stranger, to the extent that it makes some people more willing to fly, it may be your revenue is higher because you're keeping the middle seats empty. 
So in other words, the cost of upholding the policy may be relatively low, very low, and the extra and the revenue effect is not to cut the revenue because the middle seats are being kept empty, but actually to increase it. And so I, so I don't think that the economics now in this era of COVID are such that they work against keeping the middle seat empty. And by the way, in answer to your question also, yeah, if I were flying now, of course I would favor the airlines that are keeping the middle seat empty. Right. And, you know, another interesting aspect of your, and you've kind of mentioned it throughout, is that it's kind of a the regionality, the regional focus of this on the U.S. market, which has been, you know, particularly hard hit by COVID-19, the number of COVID-19 cases, the number of deaths as well, unfortunately. Um, how do how would you see this type of data translating to other regions or can it be applied to other regions in, you know considering the fact that we had so many number of cases here in the US uh, well you could do the analysis and of course in other regions in many other regions the current case the new case loads and deaths are only a small fraction even per capita compared to what we're experiencing so in those cases, if you're not keeping the middle seat open and you do the risk calculations, you get numbers a lot lower than the ones you get for the United States. And I hope that in time, if we're lucky and there isn't a second wave coming in the fall, as our numbers go down, the risk numbers go down very much in proportion to that. So, so but on the other hand, in any, in any place, it is statistically safer to keep the middle seat open. But on the other hand, if the risk is very low to begin with, I mean, if I have a risk that's you know one in a trillion and someone says, oh, I can cut it in half to one in two trillion, if you'll only pay me an extra thousand dollars, I mean, I would say the person, you're out of your mind. So the risk analysis certainly is a different one in cases where the risk of COVID is much smaller. By the way, as far as I know, the United States is the only country in which some airlines are keeping the middle seats empty. That in other countries, they, in fact, I know one of the airlines, EasyJet, the big airline in Europe, was planning to keep the middle seats empty, but then it said, well, never mind. Because again, they're thinking of the economics. And look, the economics certainly matter. But in the United States, the economics don't matter the same way because the U.S. government is paying the salaries of aviation employees. That's not the case in Europe, for example. So many things are different, but in different settings. But I think in general, though, the risks are are lower, and I hope the risk will be lower here. I mean, the risk, for example, in New York State now, New York has been through horrible agony, but now the number of new cases is so small that if you're talking about a flight taking off from LaGuardia, for example, with local residents, then the calculations would be much more optimistic than the ones I've given you, which take into account, take New York into account, actually, but also take into account a state like Texas, which now is a, a relatively high risk state in terms of new cases. Right. Yeah, and that, yeah, I did see the point that you made about Texas in, in the uh, research as well. 
Um, and so, you know, before we do let you go, I do have to ask, um, were there any other just interesting results or insight that you concluded from your research um, that you'd like to share with the industry? And, and what do you think kind of the, the results of your research ultimately mean uh, moving forward? Well, I, I think the results that I consider interesting are the ones that I put in the in the paper. I don't mean this is like a you know, some grand theory about the way the world world works. It's a specific question that came up and I tried in the spirit of engineering to come up with an approximate answer to that question. I do think we haven't talked about it directly, but of course what really is frightening about COVID is that in a certain percentage of people it causes death. And also in another percentage of people, it may not cause death, but it can cause very continuing harms. And if you consider that, if you say, well, let's say one in 5,400 is the chance of coming down with COVID. Well, then if you come down with COVID in the United States, the estimate is your chance of dying of it is about seven in a thousand, a little under 1%. So that might be your death risk if you're sort of average in terms of mortality risk. I'm old, so for me, it might be higher. But then don't forget there's the possibility I worry about the 19-year-old kid who gets COVID on a plane and may even be asymptomatic, but gives it to his grandparents. In other words, there's the possibility that even people who are not on the plane could suffer because of COVID that arose in the plane. And thus, I've done some calculations about deaths, and we're talking maybe one in half a million, one in 700,000 or something, for one, one death for, let's say, every 700,000 passengers. Is that a low number? Well, it's, it is low, but then again, U.S. aviation is so phenomenally safe that the risk of dying in a plane crash is about one in 34 million. So relative to the near perfection we had before, COVID is a setback. Then again, comparing the risk of a, of a flight involved and the risks posed by COVID on the plane itself compared to the risks of two hours on the ground, there, my first guess is they're about the same. It's not that the plane is demonstrably safer, but it's not less safe. I mean, based on, you know, approximations in the latest version of my paper about what it's like to have two hours on the ground. So uh, these are things that give perspective. In other words, it's not just the chance of getting COVID. It's what is the consequence of getting COVID. And when we look at it that way, you know, again, people might say the risk is minimal. We have to take these risks. Everything is more dangerous in the era of COVID. Others might say, well, these are higher risks than we're used to, and I'm not comfortable with them. And obviously, I'm not in a position to play King Solomon and announce how people should interpret the results. I can just do the best I can to give them the numbers. Certainly a lot of different questions to consider there and a lot of uh, very interesting insights. It was a very interesting read, you know, reading what, what you published there. Uh, so, Professor Barnett, I wanted to say thanks for coming on the Connected Aircraft podcast today. Welcome back to another episode of the Global Connected Aircraft podcast. I'm your host, Woodrow Bellamy III. Today is Friday, September 4th, and on today's episode, we will be discussing some expert analysis about the odds of catching COVID-19 while flying, which according to one MIT professor are very low. But first, I wanted to remind everyone that we are holding our next installment of the Global Connected Aircraft Cabin Chats event later this month, September 22nd through the 24th. 
This will be a three-day event consisting of several web sessions with keynote speakers and presentations that you will not want to miss. You can get all the latest updates on Cabin Chats at gcasummit.com slash cabinchats. So our guest on today's episode is Arnold Barnett. He is a professor of management science at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT. Barnett recently has been trying to quantify the odds of catching COVID-19 while flying. He recently published an in-depth study on this in the online Med Archive. In the study, he factored in a number of variables, including the odds of being seated near someone in the infectious stage of the disease and the odds that the protection of masks, which are now required on most flights, will fail. So let's get into our discussion with Professor Barnett. Well, thanks so much for having me, and I wish you and all the people on the on the podcast, you know, very safe and comfortable flights. So that brings us to the end of this episode. As always, please subscribe to us on Apple's podcast app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Woodrow Bellamy III. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Global Connected Aircraft Podcast. 